So I want to pick up our study in Revelation. It's been a couple weeks, um, but I want to pick back up in that in our look at the Millennial Kingdom. So just a couple thoughts tonight for you. If you want to turn to Revelation chapter 20, that's the text we're basing much of it off of. Revelation chapter 20 and verse 1. Revelation 20 and verse 1 is where we'll start tonight. It says, And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years, and cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up, and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years shall be fulfilled. And after that he must be loosed a little season. And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, which had not uh, worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years." But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. That's kind of all that John has about this thousand year period where Christ reigns. This is the information that he gives is very sparse very skeletal and that's kind of unlike john because if you remember as all that we've studied in revelation up to this point he gives very detailed information um, whether it's the trumpets or the seven seals or different things that are going on or different characters that play a part in this time we call the tribulation the last seven years of this earth as we know it he gives so much detailed information that when you come to Revelation chapter 20, it's kind of leaves you asking, well, what else? What else? Well, we, we, we see from this chapter that Satan is bound. His influence is taken away from the earth. So we have um, uh, less demonic influence, less satanic influence on government, on humanity. We talked some about that, but other than that, it just talks about Christ reigning and those who reign with Him. Well, John is either doing one of two things as he writes this. And I want to, over the next uh, two or three classes, uh, present uh, those two viewpoints. Number one, he's either relying on the vast Old Testament catalog to speak for itself. When you go back into the Old Testament, as what we're going to do tonight, you begin to see so much that is written about this kingdom, about Christ reigning, and it describes it in great detail that when you come to Revelation 20, if you have read the Bible, if you have spent time with the Bible, all the gaps are already filled in. All you need to hear John say is, hey, Christ comes and reigns. And immediately all those Old Testament passages come to mind. John could be doing that or the other. Uh, Second uh, viewpoint is that 
He does like he does sometimes in the book of Revelation. He'll give a skeletal outline and he'll come back and fill in. And perhaps chapter 21 and chapter 22 of Revelation are filling in what happens during the millennial kingdom. So we'll discuss that later. But what I want to do for now is kind of let the Bible speak for itself. I want to visit some other places in Scripture and just show you some of just a just a tip of the iceberg of what the Bible has to say about this thousand year time. Every kingdom reference in the Bible finds its fulfillment here. The kingdom of heaven is like how many times did Jesus say that over and over again, right? The disciples asked, when will your kingdom come? Will you now set up thy kingdom? What are they talking about if they hadn't read Revelation yet? It hadn't even been written yet. In fact, it's written after most of all of In fact, all of them are dead except John. But yes, yet they ask about it. Why? Because the Bible speaks volumes, especially in the Old Testament. All the covenant promises find their fulfillment here. So I want to take just a short time this evening and look at that. So let's go. Uh, backwards in the Bible. I want to stop at the book of Acts. Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3. And something Peter says in chapter 3 as he's preaching. Acts chapter 3 and verse 19. Acts chapter 3 and verse 19. This is Peter as he's preaching. Um, The lame man had just been healed. Remember that uh, good old phrase in the beginning of chapter 3, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. They tell the the lame man that, and all of a sudden he's healed. Well, that attracts a crowd, and Peter begins to preach. And something he says there. It's very interesting. Chapter 3, verse 19 says, Repent ye therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. And he shall send Jesus Christ, which was before preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive until the times of restitution of all things, which God hath spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. This is an interesting phrase. Interesting things that he says. First of all, he's talking to Israelites who are there who would know the Old Testament. And he says, you guys need to repent. Repent, be converted, so that your sins are blotted out when these times come, when the times of refreshing come. How do these times of refreshing come? From the presence of the Lord. You see that? When the times of refreshing shall come, From the presence of the Lord. It is His presence, Jesus' presence, that brings these times about. Some people will say and point to, well, these times of refreshing are are talking about the church and the Holy Spirit. You could make somewhat of an application, but I, I believe this is more literal. The word refreshing means literally a recovering of breath. This refreshing... And he also says in verse 21, until the times of restitution or restoration of all things. There's coming a time when life will be breathed back into God's creation and things will be restored. And that happens when Jesus comes. When the times of refreshing shall come. 
He shall send Jesus Christ, which was before preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive until the times of restitution of all things. We've seen that very clearly in the book of Revelation, that when Christ comes back, his enemies are conquered. He brings about his thousand year reign. And at that time, everything is restored, restored. So all the destruction that we see right now in nature, in human nature, will all be restored when he comes. Go to Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19 and verse 28. Jesus speaking here to his disciples, he says, Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that ye which have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, ye also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. In the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits in his glory. You notice there's no questions. They didn't interject and say, "Uh, what's that? What's the regeneration? What's that about? I think they knew exactly what it meant because the Old Testament talks about it so much. They knew what it meant. They knew what was included. And that's exactly why they asked about it so much. Again, there's several different times they are recorded. Will you now set up the kingdom? Is the kingdom coming now? In fact, Jesus says, it's not for you guys to know the times or seasons, right? Just hold on. It'll come. But they're always asking about it. What did they know that we don't? Let's be quite frank. We don't know most of our Bible. If we think we've got a handle on all of biblical truth because we know a couple of New Testament books, we are way behind uh, the bar. The Old Testament is so rich with Christ, with future prophecies, with fulfillments not only in Christ, but things that will be fulfilled in His coming. And if we don't spend time in those books of the Old Testament and mine them out and spend time and think about it, we're missing a lot. And so what I want to do is I want to show you just a few places uh, where that talks about. So let's go to the book of Isaiah. What does the Old Testament say about the kingdom of Christ and Christ's return? Much has much to say. Isaiah chapter 2. Let's start there. Isaiah chapter 2. Verse 1. Now, let's, let's also just say there is a lot of uh, times when you read in Isaiah and, and uh, other Old Testament prophet books like that, that there will be a near fulfillment and then there will be a far fulfillment. So it could be fulfilled like when Babylon is conquered. Uh, We see that happen in the Old Testament when God's judgment comes on Babylon, or it could be speaking farther out. Most of what I'm going to read you tonight is speaking of when Christ comes again, and we'll see what I mean. So Isaiah chapter 2 and look in verse 1. The word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. It shall come to pass in the last days 
that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow into it. And many people shall go and say, Come ye and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. And he will teach us of his ways and we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he shall judge among the nations and shall rebuke many people. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Jerusalem is going to be exalted. It's going to be the focal point of the earth. And not in anger, not in enmity or envy as it is now, right? The nations around Israel want to see her destroyed. That's not going to be the case. It says here in the last day, she's going to be exalted and everybody's going to say, Let's go to the mountain of the Lord and let's go learn of Him. When has that ever been the case? It hasn't, has it? Is that the case now? Are people saying, hey, I really want to know what the law of the Lord says. I really want to know what the Bible says. No, they're trying to silence it, right? Well, in that time, people are the whole of the earth is going to be focused on going to where the Lord sits, where His law goes forth, where His righteous judgment comes out, to learn of Him and to walk in His paths. Because out of Zion goes forth the law. The word of the Lord comes from Jerusalem. Why? Because that is where He reigns. That is where Christ reigns. Verse 4, He will judge the nations and rebuke people, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares. There's not going to be any war. There's not going to be any weapons of war. Because Christ will reign. That has not been the case in human history up to this point. But it promises that in the last days, when He reigns, that will be the case. So you can imagine if you're in a nation like Israel, which is constantly under attack and which has been um, attacked by nations surrounding it and the, the whole of the world looking down, when you read things like this, or when you're in captivity to another nation and you read things like this, how much hope that would bring. Well, doesn't it kind of bring hope to us now? There's coming a day when there's no more corrupt rulers and people won't be trying to silence the Bible. They'll be longing to hear more of it from the Lord who rules. Isaiah chapter 2 says that. Look in Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 1. Notice some things it says here. And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. Speaking of Jesus being from the line of David and fulfilling the promise that was given to David. There's going to be someone from your seed who sits on the throne forever. Well, that is Christ. It's fulfilled in Christ. Verse 2, And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord. And he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of the ears, but with righteousness shall he judge the poor, and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. 
and he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. We saw that, right? In the end of Revelation chapter 19, when he comes riding on the white horse and the armies are following, right? And out of his mouth goes a sharp sword which he smites the nations and and puts down his enemies and he rules with a rod of iron. John didn't pull that out of anywhere. It's from right here. Shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth, with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked, and the righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins, and faithfulness the girdle faithfulness the girdle of his reins. Look at verse six. When this happens, when he comes, when he judges this way, the wolf shall also dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid, and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. You get this unnatural picture, right? Wolves and lambs don't dwell together. Wolves eat lambs, right? And a lion doesn't lay down with a young calf or a baby, anything. The lion eats all the rest of those, including the human, if you have a chance. But here we're we're given this beautiful, peaceful picture of nature dwelling in harmony together and a little child leading them all along like... It's all the child's pets. Well, that hasn't happened, has it? No. But there's a promise that it will. And the cow and the bear shall feed, and their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. And the sucking child shall play in the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put his hand in the cockatrice's den. We don't play with snakes. Some people keep them in cages, I guess. They think they're cool, but I don't want to touch a snake. (laughs) I want to get anywhere near it, but here it's this harmless thing that little children are playing with. There seems to be, at this time, a reverse on the curse as it has affected nature. Some of that is rolled back. It is restored, if you would, to what the Garden of Eden was to be. And they shall not hurt nor destroy at all. Verse 9, in my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And in that day, there shall be a root of Jesse, which shall stand for an ensign to the people. It shall, for to it shall the Gentiles seek, and his rest shall be glorious. And it goes on to explain in the next verses how Israel is gathered together out of all of the lands, all of the surrounding lands, and gathered back to him. Look in chapter 12 and verse 1. And in that day, there's a lot of that phrasing when it comes to this. In that day, when that day comes, in the latter days. In that day thou shalt say, O Lord, I will praise thee. Thou, Though thou wast angry with me, thine anger is turned away and you comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation and I will trust and be not afraid. For the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He has also become my salvation. Therefore, with joy shall we draw water out of the wells of salvation. There's going to be a restoration of Israel, a restoration of the earth. Look in chapter 35. Just a couple more places I want to turn your attention to. Chapter 35. Isaiah 35. Christ will rule, His word will go forth, the world will listen to it, the world will be eager to hear it. 
It seems the animal kingdom will become more docile. Maybe the curse that is, as it has affected the animal kingdom will be rolled back, but that's not all. Isaiah chapter 35 and verse 1. The wilderness and the solitary place shall be glad for them, and the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice even with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given unto it. Lebanon is this um, part of the Middle East that is heavily forested. You read in Scripture the cedars of Lebanon, right? You, you, you're probably familiar with that if you read the Old Testament. It's because that's where these big, huge cedars grow. Well, the desert, which is a place that is barren and solitary, is going to be made like Lebanon. It will blossom as a rose. It will grow. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice even with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it. The excellency of Carmel and Sharon, they shall see the glory of the Lord and the excellency of our God. Verse 7. The parched ground shall become a pool and the thirsty land springs of water. In the habitation of dragons where each lay shall be grass with reeds and rushes. There shall be a highway there, and that way it shall be called the way of holiness. And the unclean shall not pass over it, but it shall be for those, the wayfaring men, though fools shall not therein, not err therein. No lion shall be there, nor any ravenous beast to go upon. It shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there, and the ransomed of the Lord shall return, and come into Zion with songs and everlasting joy upon their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away." So we see that the curse as it has affected the environment also is rolled back. The desert, the desert begins to blossom like a rose. It's growing reeds and rushes and water and trees everywhere where there was none before in that day because up till now it hasn't happened, right? But in that day, in the day that He comes back, it will. Let's look two more places in Isaiah and then we'll be done. Chapter 60. Isaiah 60. Notice what it says. See if this doesn't sound familiar. Isaiah chapter 60. Let's pick it up in verse 18. Violence shall no more be heard in thy land, wasting nor destruction within thy borders. But thou shalt call thy walls salvation, and thy gates praise. The sun shall be no more thy light by day. Neither, neither for brightness shall the moon give light unto thee, but the Lord shall be unto thee an everlasting light, and thy God thy glory. The sun shall no more go down, neither shall thy moon withdraw itself, for the Lord shall be thine everlasting light, and the days of thy morning shall be ended. Thy people also shall be righteousness, they shall inherit the land forever, the branch of my planting, the work of my hands, that I may be glorified. There seems to be no more need for a sun or for a moon, because the Lord is the light. Does that sound familiar? Kind of like Revelation, right? They had no need of the sun or the moon. For the Lamb is the light. Well... This is where we need to step back and start putting our thinking caps on because we usually apply that to the eternal age. Isaiah is applying it to the millennial reign. In that day, there's no more violence. 
The walls of Jerusalem are salvation. And what did it say? Praise. And the Lord is the light. The Lord is the glory. Chapter 65. Isaiah 65. These ones you know. I'm sure you've heard it, read it. These are the, well, maybe one of the portions of the Old Testament we're familiar with. Isaiah 65 and verse 17. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered nor come into mind. Does that sound familiar? Almost word for word, John quotes this. Revelation 21 and 22. John didn't pull that out anywhere. He's quoting Isaiah. Behold, I create new heavens and new earth. The former shall not be remembered nor come to mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem a rejoicing and her people a joy. And I will rejoice in Jerusalem and joy in my people. And the voice of weeping shall be heard no more in her, nor the voice of crying. Again, this should be ringing bells because it's pretty, pretty familiar to us. There shall be no more thence an infant of days, nor an old man that hath not filled his days. For the child shall die a hundred years old, but the sinner being a hundred years old shall be accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them, and they shall plant vineyards and eat the fruit of them. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For as the days of a tree are the days of my people, and mine elect shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain, nor bring forth for trouble, for they are the seed of the blessed of the Lord, and their offspring with them. And it shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer, and while they are speaking, I will hear. How do I know John's not, or Isaiah's not talking about some far off day? The next verse, And the wolf and the lamb shall feed together, and the lion shall eat straw like the bullock, and the dust shall be the serpent's meat. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountains, saith the Lord. I think he's talking of that day when Christ comes back. And as he does, it seems the curse's effect on humanity is rolled back. Lives are extended. If someone dies at a hundred years old, they seem to be have died a child. Right? There's not going to be an old man who hasn't lived out all of his days. It seems not only is the curse rolled back on the animal kingdom but the, and the natural kingdom, but on humanity as well. That's not to say the sin nature is erased because we'll look at that and what happens at the end of that thousand years. But this is really a restoration of all things, as the Bible says. I think we've got time for two more, maybe. Look in Isaiah 66 and verse 22. For as the new heavens and the new earth, which I will make, shall remain before me, saith the Lord, so shall your seed and your name remain. And it shall come to pass that from one new moon to the other and from one Sabbath to another shall all flesh come to worship before me, saith the Lord. Again, that has not happened yet, but it will in that day. It will in that day. 
Turn to the book of Ezekiel. We'll finish there. Ezekiel 47. See what it says here. Pretty pretty amazing. Ezekiel 47 and verse 1. Afterward he brought me again to the door of the house, the temple. And behold, waters waters issued out from under the threshold of the house eastward. For the forefront of the house stood toward the east, and the waters came from under the right side of the house and the south side of the altar. And he brought me out of the way, the gate northward, and let me out of the way without into the other gate by the way that looked eastward. And behold, there ran out waters on the right side. And when the man that had the line went in his hand, went forth eastward, he measured a thousand cubits, and he brought me through the waters. The waters were to the ankles. Again, he measured a thousand and brought me through the waters. The waters were to the knees. Again, he measured a thousand and brought me through. The waters were to the loins. Afterward, he measured a thousand. It was a river that I could not pass over. For the waters were risen, waters to swim in, a river that could not be passed over. This river is flowing from the temple and just continues getting bigger and bigger as it goes. He said to me, Son of man, hast thou seen this? And he brought me and caused me to return to the brink of the river. And when I had returned, verse 7, Behold, at the bank of the river were very many trees on one side and on the other. He said unto me, These waters issue out towards the east country and go down to the desert and into the sea, which being brought forth into the sea, the waters shall be healed. And it should come to pass that everything that liveth, which moveth, wherever the river shall come, shall live. It's a river of life. A river of water of life. And there shall be a very great multitude of fish, because these waters shall come hither, for they shall be healed, and everything that live wherever the river cometh. Everything shall live wherever the river cometh. And it shall come to pass that the fishers shall stand upon it from Engedi even to Engelim, and it shall be a place to spread forth their nets, and fish shall be according to their kinds, and fish of the great sea exceeding many. But the miry places thereof and the marshes thereof shall not be healed, they shall be given to salt. Verse 12. And by the river, upon the bank thereof, on this side and on that side, shall grow all trees for meat, whose leaf shall not fade, neither shall the fruit thereof be consumed. It shall bring forth new fruit according to his months. (laughs) There was a tree of life on either side of the river, which bare twelve manner of fruits. Revelation. And the fruit thereof shall be for meat, and the leaf thereof for medicine. And the tree, the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Revelation 22. We have got to see how deeply the Bible is connected. John didn't make this stuff up. He's not randomly writing down words. He's quoting Scripture. Much of Revelation is a quotation of the Old Testament, including chapter 19, 20, and 21. Last one, Ezekiel 36. Verse 24. For I will take you from among the heathen, gather you out of all the countries, and will bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water upon you, and you shall be clean, and from all your filthiness and from all your idols I will cleanse you. 
A new heart I will give to you, and a new spirit I will put within you. And will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you shall keep my judgment and do them. And you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. I will also save you from all your uncleanness, and I will call for the corn, and I will increase it, and lay no famine on you, and I will multiply the fruit of the tree and the increase of the field, that you shall receive no more reproach among the heathen. Then you shall remember your own evil ways and your doings that were not good, and shall loathe yourselves in your own sight for your iniquities and your abominations. Not for your sakes do I this, saith the Lord, but be it known to you, be ashamed and confounded for your own ways, O house of Israel. There's going to come a repent. A repenting of Israel, a restoration of Israel. Here's where I want to finish, just to give you the kind of picture of what it's going to be like. Thus saith the Lord God, In the day that I have cleansed you from all your iniquities, I will cause you to dwell in the cities, the waste shall be builded, and the desolate land shall be tilled, whereas it lay desolate in the sight of all that passed by. And they shall say, This land that was desolate is become like the Garden of Eden. And the waste and the desolate and ruined cities are become fenced and inhabited. It has become like the Garden of Eden. The restoration of all things, the restitution of all things, a bringing back about of what it was meant to be as Christ the center of everything. Humanity worshiping and walking after Him. Nature as it should be. That seems to be the picture that is painted for us, at least in the Old Testament, of what it will be like in this thousand years. Why, so why does John leave us a skeleton in Revelation chapter 20? Maybe he's leaving much of Scripture to fill that out as we see and, and understand what that day will be. So just some food for thought for this evening. Next week we'll, couple, we'll take a couple more steps in some places in the Old Testament and see what else it has to say, and then we'll move on to uh, some other thoughts regarding the Millennial Kingdom. So I hope it's been a blessing. look forward to seeing you all next time.